You're listening to the Creekside Church Message Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor George Willis titled, Uncommon, a study in 1 Peter. For more information, please visit our website at www.creekside.org. Hey, good morning, everyone. Uh, I'm kind of pumped today because you braved this weird weather to be here today. Is it a little muggy in here? Yeah, yeah it is, huh? <laughs> no, don't turn on the AC. Um, I want to welcome all of you watching from home. Can we let those online know that we in-house love them by making some noise? I also want to say thank you to everyone who served last week. What an amazing time that we had together. We got to be together with uh, the early birds, you guys, and the breakfast club, the other guys that meet uh, at 1030. So it was a great time. I, I just, uh, it was amazing to watch how uh, the leadership, the team leads, the volunteers, everybody who served and loved those who were with us last week. Uh, we're going to get right into it. Today we're starting a new series called Uncommon, Uncommon. Uh, we're going to walk through the book of First Peter. And please don't shoot the messenger. How about that? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather, whether it's online or in person. And we pray that you open our ears and you stretch our hearts and you begin to transform us from the inside out based on your word and your truth. Let us glean some insight, Father, today that we can leave here differently than the way we came in. Not because of what we do, not because of what we know, but because of who you are. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And the church said? Amen. Type in the comment section a big all cap amen exclamation point. Hannah, Stacy P, uh, Wiley, uh, who else is watching with us? Josh, all the way from the back wall. Uh, Taree, all the way from that side of the, over there. So I'm, I'm acutely aware of my surroundings. So 1 Peter, new series. We want to look into the book of 1 Peter to see how God is calling you and I, those of us who say we are a follower of Jesus, a follower of Jesus, to not live in, in, in like this common way that the world lives. Not, you know, I, I think there's a difference between normal and common, Right? I mean, certain things may be common. It doesn't mean that they're necessarily normal. But we're not called to live this common life like everyone else. But we're called to live a different life, according to Peter, a different life that is an uncommon life. Listen, there's no escaping it. We all face trials at different points of our, in our lives. If we're being completely honest, Jesus even himself, Jesus told us, in this world, you will have trouble. It's a promise. You will have trouble. So why are we so surprised when we face trials or trouble? Why are we so shocked why does it rock our world when we face trials or troubles or when we go through something 
negative when bad things happen. Started asking myself these questions. Well, how do we respond to it? How do we respond to these trials that we know we're going to face? And how do we continue to find joy in the middle of our struggle? Joy in the middle of all of the crud we're going through. If I'm asking this question, I'm pretty sure you're asking the same questions. How do we do this? Today, I'm kind of going to zero in on, on those of us who are facing some sort of trial, which seems unfair in our life. For some of us, we wish we can change it. And, and for some of us, we, we, we're struggling because we feel like we don't have the answers to the problem that we're facing. And what I want to do is I want to help us all avoid the common response to these troubles. The common response. Listen, I know you are very sharp and bright individuals. I don't have to go into, you know, what maybe the world, some of the common responses of the world might be. Because I think we all understand what those might be. When we get frustrated and we get angry when someone wrongs us and how we respond to that. Right? How do we avoid the common response with an uncommon faith? An uncommon faith. To respond to life's challenges with grace and godly wisdom. Which I kind of get the feeling isn't too common in today's culture. So here's our context. If you got your Bibles turned to, or if you got your device and you got your favorite Bible app, click on First uh, Peter chapter one. And let me kind of give you a little bit of a, a, a backstory to it. First Peter, written by Simon Peter. I know that shocks some of us. But see, here's the deal. Sometimes I think Peter gets a bad rap. Uh, somebody asked me the question, who do you, you know, relate to? What Bible character do you relate to the most in, in, um, in, in the Bible? And my immediate response was 1 Peter. Because here you have a dude who some think Peter is often, or they often think that Peter is an uneducated man, just an uneducated fisherman. One of the most common descriptions we hear with one of the most common jobs that you can have back then, a fisherman. But just because Peter wasn't formally educated doesn't mean that Peter wasn't sharp. It doesn't mean that he wasn't bright. Truth be told, some of the sharpest, brightest, smartest, impactful individuals that I know never went to college or took the common path. Now, I'm not bagging on education. I think it's important. But we all probably know someone who's really sharp that didn't take the common pathway to success in life. But Peter was a businessman. Peter was a fisherman. Peter was a great leader. Peter was bold and Peter was passionate. In fact, when you read his, his book, when you read what Peter wrote, he is dealing with some heavy, significant theological issues. And I want to encourage you, 
We're not going to have time this morning to go completely through 1 Peter. But I want to encourage you as you go throughout your week this week, read it. It's not a long book, but it's packed with so much good stuff. See, Peter writes to Christians who were hurting. Has anybody ever hurt at some point in their life? Every single one of us. Peter was writing to Christ followers who were hurting. He talks about election and sanctification and obedience and foreknowledge and the blood of Christ and Trinity and, and God's grace and revelation. But there's two big themes in the book of First Peter that emerge over and over again. He talks about this hope we have in Christ. This undeniable hope that we have in Christ. A hope that is for now and a hope that is for the future. And because of that hope that we have, he tells us that we are to live differently than how the world lives. Differently. Uncommonly. See, there's a common way to live according to the world's way, and there's an uncommon way according to the kingdom. Now, to help us really grasp what God is wanting us to live and do through this book, I want to lay a foundation. We have to lay a foundation of what's going on in the world at the time that Peter wrote this book, this letter. It's context, y'all. That always helps us understand a little bit more about what we need to understand. So here's some facts. First Peter was written between 60 and 60. First Peter was written between 60 and 65 AD. Not sure exactly when, but this was during the reign of, you know, a lot of people, a lot of us may know this person, but it was during the reign of a guy named Nero. Now, Nero was not a good dude. He was kind of a bad man. It says he, it, he killed his mom, he killed his first wife, and most likely he killed his second wife. Nero was so messed up in the head that history believes he actually burned down the city of Rome. And at, his, at, at the time, at the reign of Nero, Christians, those who followed Christ, were heavily persecuted. In 64 AD, a big fire broke out in the city of Rome and it burned out of control. It didn't just burn like this, it burned for six whole days. Six days this city burned. And then after that, at some point it reignited and burned for another three days. History leads us to believe that Nero started the fire due to his insatiable, uh, insatiable lust to build, to constantly be building. And the leadership at the time, the Senate, didn't let him build. So what did he do? He just burned it all down. He burned down the city in order for him to be able to rebuild again. You're kind of getting a picture of this dude Nero, aren't you? 
Now, when people began to blame Nero, saying, dude, hey, listen, that wasn't cool. Nero began to blame a small group of very passionate, loving, but already, already hated people known as the Christ ones or Christians. So this already persecuted, uh, persecuted group of people were now being brutally persecuted even more during this season when Peter was writing this letter. Now, just to give you an idea of how sick Nero was, how messed up in the head this man was. Among other things, he would put animal skins on Christians and lock them in cages and unleash, you know, packs of wild dogs on them. And he would just sit there and watch them get devoured by these wild dogs. It was kind of like his form of entertainment. I mean, these were people who had families, who had children. These were people just like you and me. He also took Christians and took their carcasses and tied them to a tree and they, he lit them on fire to do what? To light up his garden parties. This is the kind of persecution that Christians, those who believed and followed Jesus faced in that day. How many of us just get all hurt because somebody talked bad about us? That's the context in which Peter was writing this. The book that we're about to read was writing to those who were going through, who were hurting. Now, who is this message for? It's for a couple of different groups of people. Maybe you fit into one of these categories. The first group is for those who are hurting right now. Those of you who are going through something right now, who are hurting right now for those who are facing a trial that you don't have answers to, for those of you who, where life seems unfair at the moment, wish you could change it, but you can't figure out how and you don't have the answers to do so. That's the first group. The second, or maybe, maybe, maybe you're dealing with a loss or you're trying, uh, you're trying to conceive a child, but you're unable to. Maybe you're facing financial obligations and you don't know how you're gonna pay your bills in the next coming months. Maybe your child is making unwise decisions and you're seeing the collateral damage of those decisions that they're making. Maybe you just feel helpless today, lost and alone. That's the first group. The second group are for those who will one day go through a trial. And that's all of us. I mean, life can be difficult. And if you believe me, say amen. No matter what you are going through, we want to hear something from God that will speak to us at the, in the midst of our hurt. And that's the context for which we begin this very powerful book. First Peter begins with this. This letter is from Peter. We're not shocked by that. An apostle of Jesus Christ, I'm writing to God's chosen people who are living as what? foreigners in the province of Pontus, uh, Galatia, uh, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Foreigners. 
foreigners. The Greek word translates to, you know, exile, sojourners. I'll get it out. Uh, aliens. A, not the green big eye, you know, whatever. Aliens, strangers, foreigners. In other words, basically what Peter is saying, you need to understand and we need to remember that this is not your home as a Christ follower. We are just passing through. This is temporary. So it begs the question to me, why do, why do we spend our life accumulating stuff that's temporary when this isn't our home? Bigger houses, better cars, more clothes, way more snacks than you need. Why not pack light if we're just passing through? Material stuff and emotional stuff. I'm gonna, I, I told the pre-service huddle or the production team, I said, I'm going to alliterate the crud out of this message today. And here's the first alliteration for you. If we're just passing through, what I want to encourage you to do is don't trip on the temporary trials of today. That you, you know, you don't get so tripped up on the temporary trials of today that you miss the triumph of tomorrow. Say that 10 times real fast. Because you are not from here. You don't live like those who are from here. We live uncommonly. We don't take the common path. We don't, as followers of Jesus, we're not called to look like the rest of the world. We are not called to be common. We are called to be uncommon. We are not called to be normal. We're just passing through. Now, for those who are followers of Christ, what does that mean? It, it looks like this. We have uncommon values, right? We don't value the same things that the world values. We have uncommon values. We, it's different than those around you. Uncommon morals, Uncommon standards. We don't have common goals. We have kingdom-minded goals. We husband differently. We wifey differently. We raise our kids not in a way that is common, but uncommon. We invest our money not in the common ways. How we relate to people, especially those who mistreat you, we respond to them not in the usual common way. When you spend your time, it's not in the common way. When we handle our troubles and our trials, why? why? Why do we not do it in the common way? We don't do it in the common way because this world is not our home. It's not our home. We're just passing through. The way we live and deal with difficulties in our life should be different from the common way the world lives. Again, we need to live uncommonly with God's wisdom and grace. 
Now, in our time together this morning, Peter's going to show us that if you are in the middle of a trial, and because we are just passing through, this world is not our home, and we are set apart as our hope is set on Jesus, you can have an uncommon faith as we face these trials. When you go through something incredibly difficult, we can respond with an uncommon faith. Now, let me talk a little bit about an uncommon faith. 1 Peter 1, 6 through 7 says, So be truly glad, period. There is wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a while. Wait, what? Be truly glad, and there's joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials. You know why? Because these trials that we face have a purpose. The trials, the difficulties, the troubles, the struggles that you go through have a purpose. Verse 7, these trials will show that your faith is genuine. Could that be the purpose? Genuine faith. Now let's park there for a second because if there is a genuine faith, then the reverse must also be true that there is a false faith. Right? I mean, why else would Peter say it'll show that your faith is genuine? There must be a false faith. And I believe it's one of the biggest challenges that I see in churches today because it's so easy to say that we're Christians. It's so easy to say that we're Christians. And there may be a little bit of false faith in that. Now, if I could be a little direct for a moment, not like I haven't been already. There are many who are in church sporadically who believe they are a Christian, but their faith isn't real. What did I say before? Don't shoot the messenger. <laughs> now, to help all of us understand what I mean today, walk with me here for a second. Let me show you three different types of false faith. And I, I, I'm not accusing anybody of, of walking in any one of these three areas. This is something for you to work out between you and God. But let me show you three types of false faith because we're talking about genuine faith, an uncommon faith, and I believe that I'm going to share with you three common faiths that we see. The first one is an inherited faith. Inherited faith. Maybe you can relate. My dad was a Lutheran. My mom was a Baptist. We go to church on Christmas and Easter. I was baptized as a baby. But it wasn't your faith. You understand what I'm saying? I mean, over time, and if you've been in ministry for as long as I have, you have these conversations with college kids, ex-youth groupers, you know, college students over time. And what do you typically hear? Oh, I was raised in a Christian home. My mom and dad made me go to church. We never miss church. But now that I'm in college, I'm not so sure I believe all this stuff. Because it was their parents' faith, not their own. 
Listen, friends, we have a generation of young people renting their parents' faith when they should be owning their own. Some of you may be there right now. So we have the inherited faith. What's another common faith that we see in the world today? A shallow faith. It only goes so deep. Jesus talked about this in Matthew chapter 13, and many of you are familiar with this story. It's the story of the farmer who went out to sow some seed. Some seed took root, and a little plant sprouted. But the roots didn't go deep enough. Shallow faith. So Jesus said this, when the worries of life come your way and the deceitfulness of wealth consumes your thoughts, desires for the things of this world come along and that's what you pursue. What, what happens? It choked out this little plant that began to sprout. Why? Because the roots didn't go deep enough to sustain that plant. In fact, if I, if I can be a little direct again, the truth is, some of you are happy to be here today, but the reality is you won't be engaged in the, uh, with the things of faith tomorrow. Maybe it's three months from now, six months from now. We all can remember somebody we sat next to in church that was here on a regular basis for a short amount of time and they haven't been seen in a while. The reality is, is you won't be here, you're, you won't be reading your Bible, maybe caught up into addiction, and, and then you're going, why am I not experiencing any spiritual victory in my life? I've seen it time and time again, when you have no real roots that go deep, where the plant of this, this faith can withstand the trials and the trouble. Things of this world overcome it. It's, I, listen, it happens. It's kind of quiet in here. <laughs> listen, as a pastor, it, I'm not surprised. I kind of am. But people tend to confess things to me. If I see a, a, an ex-youth grouper, usually the conversation goes like this. Hey! You've been going to church? Eh, not in a while. Eh, not, okay, maybe, maybe not in a year. Eh, you know, I, I pretty much don't go anymore. Well, why aren't you going to church? Oh, I'm too busy with school, you know, homework and my social life and you know, I got, I got to get a job or I'm working. I got student loans. I need, you know, so I have to work. I, I got my car payment, you know, and I, I, I just kind of like my Saturday nights more than my Sunday mornings. It's shallow faith. The roots don't go deep. You know, what, what helps establish deep roots? 
It's not complicated. It's actually simple. Very easy to say, but for some of us, so difficult to do. Being consistent on Sunday mornings. Maybe getting involved in a Creekside group, small group. Maybe serving on Team Creekside. How about just being together? Being around other people who are faith-filled, who love Jesus. Who have a deep faith. Because here's what I believe. I don't believe that church, church, the church is some podcast. I don't believe church is an online presence. Church is here and now in the flesh. Church is encouraging one uh, one another, spurring one another on towards good deeds, all the more as you see the day of the Lord approaching. Church is equipping and encouraging one another to impact our city with the, the healing, hopeful message of Jesus Christ. That's what church is. Listen, we have to ensure that our roots go deep so our faith withstands the trials that common faith will not. How do we have an uncommon faith that withstands? Nourish the roots. Let them go deep. Deepen your roots. So we have uh, inherited faith, common. Shallow faith, which we'd agree is a common faith, right? And then the third one is conditional faith. You know, I love God. I believe in God as long as things go my way. You may have heard someone say this, listen, my wife left me, I lost my grandmother, I lost my dad, I lost my job, I lost a loved one to cancer. How can I believe in a God that would allow those things to happen? Has anybody ever heard that? That's conditional faith. And yes, the reality is that's a false faith. For those who have a false faith, and I believe that if you're struggling and wrestling with this, I believe God brought you here today to change that false faith into a genuine faith. You're not here by accident. See, what I believe that Peter is getting at in our passage is that your trials can reveal the genuineness of your faith. Some of you are going through a difficult time right now. Some of you are taking in what I'm saying and going, ooh, and you're really wrestling with it. Do I have a shallow faith, an inherited faith? Am I only here because I'm made to show up? And you may be saying to yourself, man, I really feel my my faith is being tested right now. I get it. I totally understand it. But this is when we move beyond the common response and fight with an uncommon faith. Watch this. Two things I want to make you aware of today. How does God use our trials? How does God use our trouble? How does God use 
the difficulties that we go through. First, the trials you face affirms your genuine faith. If you're taking notes, you can write that down. My trials that I have to face, the trouble I'm going through will only chip away at the exterior and reveal the genuine faith that's going to be able to sustain me through this trial. That's good news. It says in 1 Peter 1, 7, these trials will show that your faith is what, church? Genuine. I heard, it, I heard it put like this. A faith that has been tested is a faith that can be trusted. A faith that has been tested is a faith that can be trusted. That's what Peter was. That's what Peter had. He had been tested. He failed a little bit, but then he was strengthened and he regrouped and then he was redeemed and he, made, he was made new and he was completely transformed. In fact, if you allow me to, I'm going to take you back to a conversation that Peter had with Jesus himself 25 years or so prior to Peter writing this letter. And it was a conversation he was having with Jesus recorded by Luke. He said this in verse 31, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. See, what was Satan wanting to do? Satan was wanting to test them, to test them, to see what you're made of. But Jesus says, but I have prayed for you, Simon. Why? That your faith may not fail. The trials you go through reveal your faith. Now, how did God use the trials to transform Peter? Think about this. If you know anything about Peter, you know in the early years, Peter was kind of obnoxious, kind of impulsive, kind of full of himself. Peter was cocky, and he was very inconsistent. Now you know why I relate to him. But years later, after all of his refining and redeeming and every, you know, being with Jesus, years later, what happened? He became one of the most faithful. He became one of the most devoted, one of the most patient, and one of the, the, the you know, uh, how do I say bold? Bolder? One of, <laughs> boldest. Thank you. It just, uh, yeah. He became exactly the opposite of what he was. What happened? Why did this happen? God used his trials that he was going through to strengthen him. Now, one of the big trials, if you're familiar with Peter, was, you know, Peter was being cocked and he said to Jesus, of all those other losers, you know, those other loser disciples, you know, uh, leave you, know that I... Your fave will never leave you. Peter didn't say, he called himself Jesus' favorite, but he was just cocky enough to say, listen, dude, I'm never going to leave you. You could take that to the bank. What happened? He ended up denying Jesus three times, right? One of them, he denied Jesus to a little girl. And after he denies Jesus three times, he was 
caught in this position of catching eyes with Jesus and it tripped him out. He started to wig out. And then he, Jesus, Jesus brutally dies on the cross for Peter's sins and our sins. And three days later, Christ rose again. And in John 21, you see this meaningful encounter between the risen Christ and Peter. Jesus asked Peter three times. Why? Because he denied him three times. He asked him three times, do you love me? Peter said, of course I do. Then feed my sheep. Then, then Jesus asked me, Peter, do you really love me? Of course I do. Then feed my sheep. Do you love me, Peter? Of course I do. Then feed my sheep. What happened shortly after that? Peter, the guy who messed up, was the guest preacher on the day of Pentecost where 3,000 people were born into the kingdom of God. God used his trial to strengthen his faith and change him into the person that he was becoming, not who he was at the moment. Trials you face affirm and strengthen your faith. That's why James, the brother of Jesus, said this. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kind. Wait, what? But consider Joy? Dude, you don't understand what I'm going through. This person will not stop gossiping about me. You don't understand what I'm going through. This person is leaving our church because they don't like this or they don't like that. Consider pure joy. He goes on to say, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. There should be joy in that. If you're dealing with a pain in your life, please understand there is a purpose in your pain. My, I believe God will never waste a hurt. He's always in it. He's always for you. And he's always faithful. And he's always good. The second thing is trials deepens your dependence. The trials you face deepens your dependence on God. First Peter tells us directly, and I want you to notice the power of the language and the image, imagery that Peter uses. He says this in verse eight, you love God, even though you have never seen him, though you do not see him now, what do we do? We trust him. Watch this. Remember, it may have been Peter's own family member that might have been lit up like a candle on a stick at one of Nero's parties the night before. But he says this, and you rejoice with a glorious and inexpressible joy. You know what that is? That's a heavenly emotion that calms your mind, that brings peace to your soul, that passes all understanding, even in the midst of grieving and, and being afraid and in the midst of the darkness, you can still have this type of unbreakable and unshakable joy. I love this in verse nine. He says, the reward for trusting him, the reward, what we get for trusting God will be salvation of your soul. And that is what we call the gospel, y'all. That's the good news. The good news of who Jesus is. Now please understand, God never said, I will deliver you from your troubles or your trials. 
God never said, I'm going to make life easy for you. He never said you won't have difficult relationships. He never said you, you won't have any children. You know, you'll, you'll only have children that are going to make the best decisions and bless you for the rest of your life. He never said that. He never says you will, you, you're, you're going to you know, not have to deal with financial difficulty. He never said that that person at school or work that you want to throat punch, you'll never have to deal with. God never said that. I, you know, I, I kind of hear a series coming on. Don't get it twisted. Don't twist God's words. The good news isn't that God saves us from our trouble. The good news is that God saves us from our sins through Jesus. Jesus himself even said, in 1630, or John 16, verse 33, in this world, you will have trouble. Take heart, for I have overcome the world. Good news. Not that God saves you from your trouble. Not that you're going to have an easy peasy life. And you're going to be blessed and prosperous and everything's going to fall into place and fit according to your plan. The good news isn't that God saves us from our struggle. The good news is that through Jesus' work on the cross, his body broken and his blood shed, that he saves us from our sin. And that's the best news of all time. And I'm gonna invite you to stand with me because we're gonna sing about this good news. Now listen. Some of us will say, and maybe you've said this yourself or you've heard someone say this, God will not give you more than you can handle. Anybody ever heard that? Ah, just, you know, just know God will never give you more than you can handle. That's a bunch of crud. That's the strongest word I can say because it's a family show. That is absolutely not true. He will absolutely give you more than you can handle or allow you to face more than you can handle. It's a misrepresentation of the verse that said, God will never let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. And when you are tempted, he always provides a way of escape. I'm telling you, let's not get it twisted. I may throw in another one. God only wants you to be happy. I think the devil came up with that one. See, he often allows you more than you can handle. Why? Because going back to our point, it teaches you to depend on God. Because if you can handle it, why would you need God? And as you grow to depend on God, let's be honest. Those with the false faith, when all is good and everything's going well, according to your priorities, agenda, plan, what do we do? We let go of God. See, God allows us to struggle in our weaknesses to show you his strength and we depend on him. 
And when that happens, then you rejoice with this glorious, inexpressible joy. Man, I don't know why I'm going through it. God does. There's a purpose in my pain. I don't have to understand the purpose to understand what God's trying to do. But man, I'm so glad that he's refining me because I know for a fact that I'm going to come out on the back end of this better than the way I went in. And my faith is going to be revealed as genuine. Listen, trials you face affirms your faith. Trials you face also deepens your dependence on God. Because what we know to be true, my faith isn't based on what I see. My faith is based on who God is. Y'all picking up what I'm putting down. We don't, we walk by faith, not by sight. It's an uncommon faith. It's not common. It's not inherited. It's not conditional. It's definitely not shallow. And my prayer and my desire and my hope for Creekside Church, when we get into our small group, when we get out there and to love the heck out of our city through trunk or treat. Did, you know what's awesome about this trunk or treat? The team came to me and says, hey, we want to, and I'm just, I'm, I'm gonna toot their horn for a second. We're not just doing a trunk or treat, but they added an element. And I don't know the technical term for this, but they added an element like a half an hour before the actual event takes place for those who are special needs in our community. It's like sensory sensitive. I don't know what the technical term is today, but a safe place for those who have special needs that those families can come and participate in trunk or treat. Man, that's what I really dig about this church. We're finding ways to connect people who may feel like they're left behind or forgotten. But I pray that this church continues to deepen the roots of their faith, your faith. So when we do something like trunk or treat, people don't go, oh, wow, you guys are so cool. Thanks for doing this. No, they go, you're doing this in the midst of all of this stuff going on in this culture? Why? And then we can do what Peter says, give a, respectful answer. A reason for the hope that we have. Let us be that kind of church. Let us be that kind. That's why, that's why we're doing everything that we're doing is to get the message of Jesus out into the city of Martinez because there are people who are lost, hurt, left behind, forgotten, who need the healing and the hope of Jesus. Can we be that church, Creekside? If you're watching online and you agree that you can be that church, even online, say amen. Type amen. It's the shortest word of affirmation I could think of right now. Type amen. I want to give you a moment to, to just be in the presence of God. We know that God's love never fails. And I just don't want to say it 
but I want to be about it. If we're saying it with our mouth, let our actions follow it up when we walk out those doors today. Can we do that? You guys are amazing. You're loved. Let's worship together and close our time together. Oh, 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 oh,